0: Welcome to Design Much with Andy and Patrick. Patrick, how are you doing today?
1: Andy, I'm fantastic. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing pretty good. I'm excited. Excited to have another episode. Mm
1: -hmm. It is exciting. It's exciting to be back another week in the recording studio, sitting across the table from each other recording yep exactly
0: Great. that's exactly what's happening right now I'm glad you're you're painting that very realistic picture of what's going on to our listeners yeah
1: <laughs> yeah we got the uh the microphones hanging from the thing we got the guy we got uh what's his name uh the, the carl carl guy. carl yeah carl we got carl in the back he's he's quiet he doesn't want to say anything but carl's back there he's on the he's on the, he's our producer uh-huh on the show yeah. well, he's a I, professional what yeah. he does yeah <laughs> yeah he mixes our audio or something like that and then we got uh we got andy we got patrick and we're here we're ready to go
0: that's right yeah we got we got the room like it's a dim lit room you know we're <laughs> just <laughs> we're holding our our drinks you know and it's um it is yeah. time to record yet another amazing episode of design much so buckle up.
1: <laughs> I want to start out with a user this is this is UX, this is UX design. It may not be in the digital world. It may be more like in the uh, as Madonna said, the material world. But clothing, design of clothing is a complete freaking disaster, Andy. Is it? It's a disaster. There is we talked about we've talked in this on the show about consistency we've talked about unity we've talked about familiarity we've talked about all these core ux principles but yet i can go to one store right one store let's say let's say it rhymes with molds maybe for instance (laughs) i go to this store and I, i i order clothing from this store and i get it i measure my i measure my waist I measure my shoulders, I measure my inseam, <laughs> I measure everything, right? I've got exact numbers. I go online, I buy what they say is in that measurement of mine, Okay. right? Mm-hmm. I receive it in the mail a week and a half later, and guess what, Andy? It's all like three sizes too small. It says the right size, but it's all like three sizes too small. Hold on, hold on.
0: Patrick, have you... <laughs> Have you measured like, yourself after on? you got the pants again?
1: Yes. <laughs> Just want to well check. Well done, Andy. Well done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did hit Taco Bell 3 times that week, so maybe. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> but it's like but it's like if I if I'm a size <laughs> if I'm a size 36 inches, right? Inches don't change that much, right? from ruler to ruler they're pretty consistent right <laughs> i would say so yes so then i go on the little size chart for the pants and i say okay it says size 36 okay cross-reference that over okay i should buy what it says the size 36 i was mm-hmm. like oh okay that's great okay that's great so i buy that i get it home i can't even pull the stupid things up my legs they're so small <laughs> like did i get a 36 size and like some weird alien thing or something like what happened And then i go to another store and i buy the same thing i look at their chart i'm like okay size 36 okay boom done i get it home and they're just slightly too big yeah which is okay i can handle slightly too big because at least i can wear them but like where where is the freaking consistency in clothing now i understand it's been like this for eons of time but like can't they just stick to a pattern Especially the same company. Like, you can go to the same company, the same pair of pants in a different color, even mm-hmm. might even be a different size, which makes no sense to me. Like, what is happening? Please, no. Andy, tell me.
0: Oh, let me, let me, <laughs> let me um, tell you all of my expertise on how that industry works. But I have experienced the same thing. Uh, I, I, I totally understand that inconsistency. And for that reason, I, refrain from buying things online typically I actually <laughs> like to go into a store and try it on because it's always different when I'm buying shoes I'm buying like sizes that are all over the place because they all fit differently my feet haven't so really changed too. in size in a very long time no matter how much Taco Bell I eat um, so I think it's like I I totally agree this is, this is a rampant problem with the fashion industry um, so yeah, I, I definitely think it's an issue. I don't know what could possibly cause this issue because they are using the same system of measurement across all of those different companies, across the entire industry, at least I would assume. So why is that a problem? I don't know. Maybe they should switch to pixels, Patrick. Maybe that's the problem.
1: Well, Inches just, just doesn't work. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense if you try to create, like, like in shoes, right? Like, okay, size 10. Right. I don't know what measurement that is. I have to measure my foot and figure out what a size 10 is. Mm -hmm. But that's the point is I shouldn't have to like, I shouldn't like that. Isn't that the point of saying like, Hey, we're going to create a standard uh, system by which consumers can say I'm a size 10 and then buy a size 10, wherever they want to. And they'll know that it will fit them right now. There might be nuances, the shape of the shoe, you know, the fit of the pants might be like, you know, skinny fit versus baggy fit or whatever like that, that, that will change. But the overall size should be the same right it should be consistent but it's so wildly different like i would get if it's like you're a size 36 waist and like it's within like an inch or two right like yeah. i get that oh these are a little bit tight and maybe the other pair is a little bit like not because material is material right it's it, it you know it's not perfect but you know yeah. It's, it's just not perfect, but the, but to be like to get like a size thirty six or whatever, thirty four, and have it truly be like a size twenty six or a twenty eight, where it's like it literally doesn't like it's not even close. That just doesn't make any sense to me. That's like, why why do you even have a standard, uh, a standard way, like a standard sizing? Like it doesn't even it doesn't even matter at that point. You know, like it's yeah. almost it's almost worse to do that. Than it is just be like, hey, just take all your measurements, give me your measurements, we'll figure out the one that works the best. But I guess maybe, maybe this is a maybe this is a conspiracy theory with the the tailoring community, <laughs> you know, where they're like, it's, hey, we'll just make them all different sizes and then they'll come to the tailor and they'll figure it out. I don't know. That is very possible.
0: Nice. Uh, yeah, maybe we should start researching that online. And if we don't find it, we can make up our own stuff about it. You know. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I think that that kind of speaks to the problem that I think many humans have across the whole globe in terms of the way we measure things, the way we measure food, the way we (laughs) measure um, distances. You know, I think I, I have run into this problem digitally when, you know, I'm designing in pixels and, you know, front end engineers are designing in REM. And you have to, like, convert that. And it's, like, uh, really confusing. (laughs) You have to, like, kind of look up. I'm just looking this up right now. Like, one pixel equals 0.06 REM. (laughs) So it's, like.
1: that's Well, and that's if they set a standard. If the browser has a default, a default that they're yeah, trying to right, because I'm
0: seeing different tables here that I'm looking up, so yeah. it's very confusing. Because they
1: could, they could set the, they could set the, uh, what is it, the percentage, right, the pixel percentage or whatever. Mm-hmm. They could set that to be different, and then it's like, oh, now it's now a, now an REM is is different, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, they used to work with pixels, front end engineers. It used to be that way, but they've you know, gone to this system of measurement because it's better and I don't know why because I don't fully understand front end engineering but they use that system because it's better for them and we use pixels for some reason because I don't know if we just haven't you know moved over yeah <laughs> I don't know if we're slow or it's just better for us to do in pixels so I don't know who's defining that but this is a problem that we aren't working together consistently um, in many different ways as humans <laughs> and then we have one <laughs> and then it comes did, down to Patrick can't buy out. pants that fit him.
1: Oh, it takes me off, man. Yeah, that's why I don't want to buy clothes. It's like clothes are a joke anyway. Like there's the fact that we have to deal with so many different <laughs> things. Like I want to be like it was Jerry Seinfeld who said it in one of his like his one of his bits. Right, It was like, hey, I want to go into the future because those guys figured out how to how to dress. They all picked one outfit. And they all just stuck. They all they all went like with the silver jumpsuit, and they were cool with it. Yeah, like, like because every every you know future movie has like they have like one outfit that they're all apparently wearing. You know. Yep. But I was like, we need to do that. We need to just like we need to decide as a society like like maybe not one that's too extreme, but maybe like ten, maybe like pick ten things, and then just be like, okay, this is it. Let's just deal with this. And you can put stickers on them. You can put patches on them, whatever you want to do to kind of like make them your own. Yeah. And but I think and, society would be better.
0: Why should we stop there? Let's just genetically alter every human so we're all the exact same size and we look the exact same so that we can all fit into these futuristic clothes. There you go. There these you go. Yeah. Outfits. Someday,
1: someday <laughs> is... we can eat as much Taco Bell as we want because our CRISPR DNA is going to be constructed <laughs> in such a way that we're, it just doesn't matter. Yeah yeah I think we're But i already... do i do i do okay. know Andy why developers use r e m oh please as you of me. measures yes uh listen close, Andy they like r e m like the band <laughs> it's a secret don't tell anybody they'll never admit it dang well I hate they're actually... all really into losing my religion they're just all yeah. into that. Yeah.
0: I'm I'm done with REM, so maybe I should switch to. Yeah, I, I gotta see if Figma has like a setting where I could switch from pixels to REM.
1: Yeah, when we do this, well, even in Figma, right? Like we do this. W- there's pixels, there's points, but even with colors, and you know, now the new rage is what the the uh, what's it called? The uh, totally spaced it. We've got we've got uh, hex colors codes. We've got yeah RGB value codes. Now it's what was the HS HS what is it? HSL? Oh HSB
0: i think it's hsb HSB?
1: off the top of my head shoot man we're designers andy
0: apparently not
1: (laughs) yeah now people are like that's all the rage right oh it does this and it makes you know whatever blah 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 so now we got to measure it in different ways can't so yeah you're correct we we don't like how many ounces are in a pound andy right off the top of your head come on come on come on
0: (laughs) i use i use google for something like that man (laughs) that's the problem (laughs) But I, I mean, I think, I think it's the that's something that's hard, and it's also something that's kind of good for us as designers because it's kind of yeah. like job security because there's so many different ways of measuring things, and if you can create an experience that lets people understand the difference between these things and makes it so it's just really simple for you to make a choice as a consumer, as a user, then. Uh, then I think you've done a good thing because it has to be inclusive right we can't unfortunately Patrick um, you know your, your plan sounds wonderful but I think I don't think it's going to work super well because everybody is different you know their bodies are different it's going to be hard to genetically engineer everybody and hard to get everybody to be um, cool with that <laughs> so you it is kind yeah, of like inclusive design you have to you have to you know build things inclusively to to be able to match the consumer so that they can Solve problems using your experience or your product, you know. So,
1: but we, but let's just sit, let's just, but we can all, we can all come to agree that like a waist size of somebody's pants should be the same. Like, like if it's a thirty, if I measure my waist and it's a thirty-six, I should be able to order a thirty-six size pant, right? Like, I should I be totally, able to order that, yeah, and get that. Like, we we could all agree, regardless yeah. if I'm a if I'm a twenty-eight a 36, a 47, whatever my waist size is, I should measure it. I should be able to go measure it. Okay, I'm a 35. All right, I'm going to I'm going to get a 36 to give me a little bit more room. And when I put it on, I should expect it that it will actually go like on my body. I
0: right? 100% agree with that. And we've been talking about like, you know, conversions from one me- system of measurement to another, but your experience like you had you have a standard that you understand as a consumer. You're a thirty six. You wanna get thirty six pants, right? <laughs> and you ordered thirty six pants <laughs> because that's the size that you expect and you didn't really get that size. And I really I'm curious to know if there's some way that you could measure to understand if those really are thirty six pants.
1: No, like I, I like, measured I measured the pants. You did? And okay. they were they were a thirty two. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> So that's just an entire failure of experience for you. Like, yeah, it's
1: it's not even. It doesn't even make sense. Yeah.
0: Why would you you call?
1: Why would you say? Why would you say on a website where you say, "Hey, this is a thirty-six pant," because you buy pants based on waist measurement, Mm -hmm. and then make it a (laughs) thirty-two? Like, what's the advantage? Like, is there like that's the other thing? Is like, is there an advantage to? smold favy doing that like is there an advantage to them like they're they're back cackling going ha, ha, ha we're going to make everybody feel fat today ha, 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 ha. <laughs> well like what are, what are they what what are they getting out of changing like just make it a 36 yeah
0: that's absolutely i think it's a good call Cause now i got
1: to now i got to take my pants back and of course i'm not going to go take my pants back and be and, and do a calculation myself like okay well it's, it's, I ordered a 36 came a 32 so technically i would probably need to order a 42 uh, but I'm not gonna order a forty two. I'm just gonna you know I'm just gonna forget about Moulds Navy and I'm gonna go somewhere else. Like, it's just a, it, like why it just doesn't seem like there's any logical explanation for it, you know It just doesn't it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, it's just a failure. You know,
0: I think they just they didn't get it right for some reason or another. Yeah. so Sm- smolds Navyvy, as you call it that <laughs> store, they should first off change their name. And to, uh, Yeah, to mold flavy <laughs> It should be easier to pronounce. And, yeah, second off, they should really um, figure out that experience, make sure it's yeah. actually accurate for, for people so they can, they can accomplish,
1: you know, what they want to accomplish with their product. But, but consistency, right? I mean, I hope our topic today, I hope our real design topic today is going to be <laughs> consistency.
0: <laughs> that puts that a lot of pressure nice. on the, the yeah. random topic yeah. chooser
1: let's see um, if it can let's see if this random topic to chooser has any uh ai in it
0: it's been you know listening this whole time
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i don't it's know gonna if put that's up a bunch of old navy ads for us <laughs> now that's the other part that ticks me off is now i'm gonna get a bunch of old navy ads on instagram or something now
0: because instagram listens ai instagram ai listens to our podcast is that what you're thinking yeah all right yeah. And so they only target um, us.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love the that's logic has nothing to, yeah, <laughs> to do with the fact that I ordered Old Navy clothing off of my phone. Okay. But it has nothing to do with that. It's they're listening to us.
0: <laughs> yeah, they can, they can sense negativity um, coming from <laughs> anywhere. If it comes from... Uh, Instagram post if it comes from, you know, uh podcast somehow, they can sense it. <laughs> the AI yeah. is pretty good in that way.
1: Now everybody who's listening to this podcast is gonna start getting old Navy ads.
0: <laughs> Sorry guys. <laughs>
1: it's gonna be awesome.
0: But I hope your experience um ordering, you know, the 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 pair of pants that you're looking for is a lot better than Patrick's.
1: I hope so. It's probably not, but I hope it would be for you guys.
0: Yeah. See, I I am a person who consistently buys jeans at Old Navy. I buy my pants at Old Navy, <laughs> but I don't really buy them online. I've never done that. I always go into the store, you know, try them on, see how they fit, you know, walk around, do a little dance in front of the mirror, and that's how I make my buying decisions, Patrick. Because yeah. I I don't trust that they're gonna get it right.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. So.
0: Maybe that's what they want. Maybe they're they're trying to drive you to the store because you're, maybe you're going to buy more things that way.
1: Well, yeah, because they gave me they sent me the clothes, and then right on the label they said if these don't fit, you can return them to an Old Navy store. So that's there it. You go. There you now go. Now I know. Yeah. That's it. Problem yeah. solved.
0: <laughs> you just you just had yeah. to ask me. Next time you're about to make a purchase, just call me Patrick and <laughs> yeah. ask me how to do it, and I'll let you know. <laughs> Could have saved you some <laughs> some time and grief. <laughs> But anyway, so today we, we do have a topic, <laughs> um, other Anywho. than Old Navy. <laughs> um, and today's topic um, comes from um, Brian Talbert, actually.
1: Brian Talbert.
0: Yes. And right. Brian has written in and he asks us, at what point do you involve developers in a design? Outside of an inspect panel, what extra information makes the handoff easier? So this is definitely kind of covering two different topics here. Um, but at what point do you you bring those developers in, and how do you make handoff with developers um, easier? Speaking yeah, of so pixels the, to to rem, right?
1: Yeah, to rem. See that goes that goes into our topic earlier, so that's that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we're talking about the when and the how, right?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, it depends, Andy. Like, like usual, it depends. Um,
0: um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna push back, Patrick. What does it depend on? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it depends on. Well, it depends on where you work, right? Like this, I think. I think practicality matters here especially on the when side it depends on um how your engineering team operates depends on how your engineering and product and design structure is it depends yeah. on all it depends on that right like if you're at a company i think that's the first thing is if you're at a company uh some companies your design team is is localized in one place and your engineering team is in another place and so getting your engineering team involved in the processes a little bit more difficult that way Uh, versus you might be at a company where you are assigned, you're a designer that's embedded into a product development team, which in that case you can bring developers in just, you can bring them in a lot earlier. And in fact, that environment promotes bringing development in a lot earlier. So I think there's the practicality of that. Um, I, I think you should always try to bring development into design decisions as early as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, and then depending on when that is, right? Depending on your development team and how they how they uh, are set up to create, right? How, they, how they're set up to build the product. Um, that could be really early on in some cases. And in some projects, it could be like, you know, your engineers are, are with you and your product manager from the very inception to research, to, you know, testing, prototyping, to building, right? But in some cases it's, early on might be more for you. It might be like in the prototyping phase, you know, like yeah. might be getting them involved there. But I think it's I think it's a good idea to get them involved in design decisions. At least make your development team aware of what kind of product you're working on at the time. Right. If you're researching something like they should know what you're researching and know sort of what you're what you're up against, right? What they're up against when when you sort of have something that's ready to build. Yeah,
0: I, I totally agree with that. And I really like how you kind of called out, like, depends on how your company works. Um, I agree. I have experienced, you know, different, you know, different uh, cultures in terms of product development. And I have, I've experienced, you know, being apart from developers, I've experienced working embedded with developers. I personally am a very big fan of working very closely with developers and having them be part of the the design process very early on, like, you know, the very inception of it, but that's not always possible um, based on the culture you're at. And so it's, it's good to be realistic about that. And to understand that you can't come in as a designer and just start breaking down barriers super easily, um, you know, without maybe um, making existing processes, uh, I guess, more difficult or make people hate you. I don't know, but it's not easy to do that, but it's really good to understand that your developers are stakeholders in your project and they have to ultimately build whatever you're designing so if you don't involve them at all or you wait to the very last minute to involve them you're going to run into a lot of problems so if you do work at an organization that has a culture that doesn't exactly allow you to involve them very Um, I guess immerse them into the design process or have them be a very big part of that then you should at least have um, some sort of touch point where you're early on understanding what sort of requirements um, there might be that you don't understand technically and involve them from kind of a stakeholder level and just you know let them know I'm starting this project I want to involve you as I can I know you're busy and doing other things but I would love to get your feedback along the way to make sure that you know, this is going in the right direction um, and it, we're going to be able to make it technically feasible. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're going to and I have, I've, you know, run into problems where this isn't going to work. You know, we have to push back on this and all this work you've done in research and design. Um, it's going to wait or we're not going to be able to do it just because we can't do it technically. You know, so yeah, it's it's definitely um, it's a. Uh, It's a, you have to kind of walk that line sometimes, depending on where you are. But I would definitely try to uh, develop a relationship with engineering and try to break down those walls more and get them involved more in the design process because as I have experienced it, you know, working closely with them early on, it's such an awesome experience because they give really good feedback. They have such good ideas that you don't even consider, like just their engineering and technical minds um, offer so much insight that you never even consider as a designer. So I really love working with them early on. And you also get to like be part of a team. You know, as I've worked on those close agile teams, you get to like experience and they get to experience the inception and be part of the inception. Of a design, and then they get to you get to experience and work really really closely with them, building it out and seeing it, you know, finally in customer hands. So it's a really great experience that um, is a lot of fun to see from start to be, you know, to end this this baby that you've created together <laughs> of a design, yeah. um, of an experience, and um, it's a lot of fun doing that. So I would definitely work towards that if you don't have it where you're working, but be respectful of what you have now and try to um, use. That culture to the best of your ability to you know start in that involvement early. So sorry, that was a very long-winded answer, but I like what you were saying, Patrick.
1: Well, it does go back to like uh, <clears throat> understanding. It goes back to understanding the develop the developers you're working with or the team of developers you work with, and depending on where you're at too, those those might be the same through every project because you own everything together. Or those could switch depending on the project you're working on, right? Like you might get a new team of developers to work with and so i think there has you have to you have to sort of understand them understand how they feel productive understand what their engineering requirement is on them right like Mm -hmm. they might have a pretty stringent you know i've worked at places that you know have a pretty stringent like you know production like like a productivity kind of kind of measurement right And doing user research is not in that in a lot of, in a lot of ways. So, you know, like it might even, it might even, you know, reflect on them negatively with their own, uh, you know, with their own engineering team and their managers and their CTO and all that kind of stuff. If they're doing too much of that and not enough writing code or whatever, whatever that measurement is, Mm -hmm. I think also too, it depends. A lot of it depends on like this. This is where I think it's really nice for designers to understand how, how the sausage is made, right? Like really understand what languages that the development team uses, how it's architected, right? There's many different ways for an application to be architected. There's many different languages that they can use that give, the the developers uh more freedom or more restraints on what they can and can't produce Mm -hmm. um and that kind of thing so and then that you know understanding that and then understanding the development team and how the development team operates um and being respectful of that i think will give you a really good uh a really good idea of when to get developers involved you know, cause, cause maybe you, maybe as a designer, you really want to get developers involved because podcasts like this tell you all the time, like get them involved early. But the place that you worked at, right. The place that you work at doesn't want their engineering team to do that for a different reason. You know, yeah. like, I don't want you to do that because you're more productive if you don't. And it, depending on the product, depending on the company, there's pros and cons to all of it. And so, you know, you don't want to get in the way and you don't want to like Disrupt too much of the flow, right? As as you can, but, um, you know, but so you kind of have to figure that out. And I think it's, I think it's really, really, really wise to understand, not necessarily like how, like not necessarily like writing code or you know experiencing it, but understand how it's architected. Yeah. Like, does your company have backend devs? Does it have front end developers? Does it have full stack developers? Does it use Java? Does it use PHP? Does it use like what's the tech stack like? Is it is it a monolith architecture, or is it a microservice architecture? Like all of these different things are important things to understand. Not that you're ever gonna build anything in it, but that so when you're designing something, especially in the case when your developers can't be involved early on, at least you understand, you know, some of the technical uh requirements that are that are needed or some of the hurdles that you might have to jump across.
0: Yeah, and that's there. a I, that's a great point. That's absolutely true as because yeah, you <laughs> The more you know, uh, you know, the, the more you're going to be able to make some of the decisions that developers can't, you know, give you that feedback on, you know, so yeah. if, if they can't be part of your process um, a lot, then you can, you're going to probably have to learn a little bit more about what they're doing and how they do it to be able to understand if what you're doing makes any sense, you know?
1: Yeah. I think so, a good example of that for me is working at Canopy and working on, uh, an application that's built on a microservice architecture um, where the services, like like the system itself has to call out to other multiple services to like render a page. There might be five or six different services you know, being rendered on one page at the same time. And so each one of those services, like that requires time, right? To call out this service and this service and this service. Yeah. Versus like a monolith where it loads all at the same time and all comes from one service. One interesting thing that I always, like, I never thought, well, that doesn't really matter to me, whatever, blah, 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 blah. But one thing that really does matter is you can design something in one of those services and just update that service, which makes it easier for releasing, right? Like, I could make it easier to release something. Yep. Um, but, this, but the con to that sometimes is is things, is you, uh, user experience or interaction paradigms, like, we're always battling, like, lazy load. Like, lazy loading because when we're only we're only serve we're only pulling so much data into the uh, to the browser at, at a certain rate right because it's a it's an API call um, and so to you know to a back end service and so the services have to talk together and so we always run into those where it's like hey if we do this decision it actually will slow down the experience of the application make it much more difficult on the engineering team to do it and in either case we're not making the engineering team happy nor will we make the user happy right and so yeah Understanding that architecture, understanding like even common paradigms that we see across the web, um, that we think would be cool for our application may not actually work in our application very well, even for our users. And so, it's good to understand. It's it, I think that's why it's good to understand those, those yeah technical those technical things.
0: Yeah, and there's pros and cons to both of those those types of services that you mentioned too. Because like the opposite of that, like if you're working with a monolith, for example. Um, you don't have the advantage of it being a microservice and it being you know broken into sections. It's easier to build with a monolith. You have to kind of work with all of this code in one thing, and you're kind of having to. Um, and I don't know, and I of course, I understand all the technical things here, but um, if you if you do one thing, you could be breaking it somewhere else. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of like moving parts to the monolith piece. Um, that the developers really have to, to manage and <laughs> building this new thing you know, into this monolith can be difficult for them to be able to manage because they have so many bugs that come up and this is going to take a lot longer to do because, well, we actually want to change this into a microservice and you know move this out of the monolith or whatever, you know, so it's, there's definitely the pros and cons to to both of those. Um, and so as you understand it, just as I loved your example, um, as you understand it more, you'll be able to, um, see if this is the right design decision or not for your users and for mm-hmm. your technical team.
1: Yeah. I think it's kind of too, I I've heard this a lot too, where it's like designers kind of don't, they're not really going to worry about the technical aspect of it because that's what developers worry about. Right. Like, uh. And we always think that like the technical aspect of what we're building is something that the developers are just going to have to solve. Like that's going to be the problem they're going to have to solve. Cause we want to give the best user experience, but the, the technical requirement of building something, of building an interaction might, might just not be the greatest thing for the user either, right? Like if they build something that's kind of janky because we don't have the tech stack to build what you want to build <laughs> or, you know, we're using newer code that doesn't have the stuff or whatever it might be, right? Whatever the technical limitation is you might not build the experience that you want, like the user, like you might build the interaction and then they build it and it's like, well, it's not so great. You know, it's not very smooth, whatever. And then the user starts using it and it's slow. And, you know, that's part of the user experience. Like whether we like it or not, those, you know, speed and all that kind of stuff is part of the experience. And so like we have to pay attention to that and we have to take what the engineering team brings up their issues you know that may seem technical, right? They may seem very technical, and the designer might be like, "Whoa, well, I don't know what are you talking about, whatever." <laughs> but like, those technical issues will will encumber, like, well, they will hurt the user experience in the long run if you're not careful. Hmm. So you have to you have to consider that, right? You can't just be like, "Oh, well, they're worried about performance, whatever, blah blah blah." Like, no, performance is actually a big part of your user experience. <laughs> so and like you said with the bug thing like i've worked on applications where they're it's just you know monolith bug riddled stuff you know takes longer to qa takes longer to to get the code out and the user experience suffers because one you don't get you don't get to you don't get the feature out to them in time Mm -hmm. but two if it's if if it's an application full of bugs like nobody wants that either like they want reliable software so performant reliable software is key to user experience. Cause no matter what, no, no matter what thing you work on, like interaction, like some slick interaction you're going to do, like if they can't access it, it just doesn't matter. Right. And so like, you have to be aware of it. And if you, if you can't, if you work in an environment where your development team is somewhere else and you don't know, you, you don't even know who's going to be creating this product for you, like working with you. Um, You know, building this design, like you should understand some of that at least. Hopefully, you have developers that you can talk to during the process, right? And be like, Mm -hmm. "Hey, I'm I'm thinking about doing this crazy interaction," and then your developer can be like, "Okay, well, quit thinking about doing that because we can't make that happen." You know, (laughs) think about something else. It's gonna save you a ton of time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And getting that feedback earlier can save a lot of time. It can save um, a lot of heartbreak for you as a designer and for the users you <laughs> test with, you know, like they're, they're, they're hoping for, you know, this, this great experience that they're, they're seeing in these mocks and they're not going to get it. Um, cause it's just not possible at this time or at all with the code base they have. Um, yeah. so aw- awesome points. So Patrick, a question for you. Um, how would I, as a designer <laughs> go about learning about the code in my company? Like I have, I can't exactly dig around and just find out, you know, I can't like dig into the code or anything. Exactly. Um, yeah. How do I learn that? How have you learned that in the past in your career at a company?
1: Uh, stakeholder interviews, right? That's, that's, that's how you learn anything about a stakeholder right there. Like you brought up earlier, the engineering team is a stakeholder in your design. So in your product, right? So you need to Mm -hmm. go understand how that works. I, like if you if you arrive if you arrive at a company you're new to a company I think you should probably find who is the head of engineering who's 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 leading engineering set up an hour you know stakeholder interview with them sit down with them and then ask them how it's architected like just oh, nice. just ask them yeah you know, sit down and be like how is how is this how is the product architected you know how is it built what's what's your process like. Like that kind of stuff. I mean, you're gonna learn a ton, right? And and a lot of stuff's gonna be over your head, yeah. Obviously, because um, they'll probably get into the weeds of a little of it a little bit. But every company I've ever worked for, um, they have somebody who's in charge of who's made the decision to pick a particular architecture or something, right? And you need to talk to those people. Usually, it's gonna be the head of engineering, CTO, uh, lead architect, somebody like that, right? There's always somebody like that at the company. Um, and get to, and and just go ask them.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. easiest thing to do. (laughs) Just go ask them. That's just too easy, Patrick. (laughs) Easy
1: peasy, man. (laughs) Sounds
0: way too simple. I don't think it's right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I gotta ask you a question going into the how of Brian's, Brian's topic and his question. How, how have you handed off stuff? What tools how have you handed off designs to engineering, to developers?
0: Yeah. So that's, this is interesting because I've used a lot of different tools and I'm not sure if there's one that works particularly well, because it really depends, I, I'm sorry, but it depends on the developer,
1: <laughs> <laughs> depends on the
0: engineer and, and how they like to work, um, unfortunately. So, and also like what tools are used to, right? So I've, I've used things like, um, InVision. I've used that a lot where I will have my sketch mocks and then I will send them, you know, I'll upload them to Envision and I will send them the inspect share link so they can, you know, look at those files and see the, you know, pixel spacing. Um, They can see the font weights and all that sort of stuff. And then I just, you know, wipe my hands and walk away, right? Um, No, just can, you know, from there it's kind of um, also going like over like a walkthrough. I've done walkthroughs where I've just said, okay, here are all of the elements of a design where I'm just like, you know, one-on-one with them, or I'm just meeting with all the front-end engineers, also the back-end engineers, and we're just going over, okay, this is what we tested. This is why we've made these decisions based on, you know, this user feedback that we got. And I want to go like kind of do a, kind of a technical run-through of this design. And those have been awesome because they will, you know, pick apart my designs, make me understand things I didn't consider. <laughs> you know all that stuff, and they'll ask me questions like, "Okay, how does this button work? How, what does that thing do?" And I'll be able to, you know, walk them through what I'm thinking, what I've missed, and you know what I can go back and fix. Um, so definitely going through that and just letting them go through every single element of your design um, helps answer a lot of questions for them. And from there, they can even start breaking up the work that they're going to do and you can see live how they're gonna you know go about you know creating this thing that you've worked on Um, so then from there the handoff I I feel like handoff is an ongoing process it's not just a, a thing that you just kind of give it to them and walk away it's really like you kind of turn from it's part of your design process I think you kind of go into support mode where they're going to start working on it and the best experience I've had is they're going to be coming back to you and say, okay, I finished this element. What do you think? They might send it to you and let you play with it. They might just, you know, turn around and have you come play with it on their desk or just walk you through the way it's looking and ask if there's anything that needs to be changed. Um, or there's like a UX sign off process, um, you know, that's broken down where you go over this thing, say this passes UX, you know, it's, um, usable. This is, you know, the specs that I defined in the, the, the mock-ups, Um, and you say this is good to, you know, move forward, you can go on to the next thing. So um, definitely a lot of different ways to go about that. Um, Where I've ran into problems is the technical part of giving them the mocks and letting them inspect those mocks. Because as as a design team, we're always changing tools. Um, And some of those tools have inspect options. Some of those tools don't. And some of those tools do have it, but it's super expensive when you start bringing on developer seats into the product. So we just don't do it. (laughs) So um, I have given them stuff and they have done it just by the naked eye. And then I kind of go back and, you know, I fix it. I have done things where I have done the regular design and then I copy that over to another artboard, And then I do like an overlay to show all the pixel spacing, which is so cumbersome but it's sometimes helpful. And so there's there's all those different things. And some developers don't know how to use inspect tools or don't care to, and they just want to do it by eye and then get your feedback later. So it, it's oh. going to depend, at least the way I've experienced, it's going to depend <coughs> on how those engineers work, how those developers work, and how they want to work with you. So that's something you can establish as a team going forward. But I have not found a, a really solid way to get that part like the technical part of the handoff to be easier and i don't know if that's something that you have been able to figure out patrick
1: no i I think it's i think you're right it's it's different i think it's different for every team right it's different for every set of developers in fact i think it's different between you know you have a couple developers on one team i think they operate differently too yeah or, or can can potentially operate differently so as a designer trying to sort of like feed designs that way um, and feed, you know, deliverables to them to get them built. Like it really does come back to understanding, you know, and building some kind of collective process. Like what, what's going to be the best thing for all of us. Cause the last thing you want to do as a designer is, you know, Hey, I got, I have this one design and you know, if I split it in half, you know, developer B, A is going to work on one side, developer B is going to work on the other side and developer A loves red lines and developer B loves Figma. Like yeah. you're going to be doing way too much work. You know, like you, you shouldn't have to do that, right? Shouldn't have to necessarily cater to all of the the whims of every developer. But I think you should get together with developer A and B and your team and be like, okay, what's the process of hand up handoff like? Um, in some cases, they may not even have seen. I, I mean, I've in some cases I've wondered why developers don't use, you know, like an inspect tool, and then they didn't, they just didn't realize they had access to it. Like that yeah. was one thing was like, <laughs> I just didn't even know I could use it. Like, I didn't even know it was there, which is a fault of the designer to not, you know, not showing the developer that this tool exists, right? Mm-hmm. This will be easier for <laughs> you. Um, so it's as simple as that. But, but yeah, like there's a, there's a broad range, like, you know, I, but I think what you brought up, you know, with the walkthrough, like there's sort of like before the walkthrough, right, there's like the user story mapping, like idealistically, you, they they should know what features they're gonna have to work on right ahead of yeah, time. Yeah, Just from a high level, hey, there's gonna be a collection of these features we're thinking about using this. Just like a high level, uh, high level user experience map, right, of some kind, like a user story map or a, a user journey or uh, whatever anybody else like a workflow, something like that. That mm-hmm. so they can understand. Okay, well, I'm, I need what technologies do we need to use, right? Like that's number. That's the first thing. The second part of the handoff is the walkthrough, like you said. And I've done that a lot of different ways in my career. Uh, I did, at one point, I was making like videos, like screencast videos. You know, like so I'd build my prototype, I'd put it in the prototype, and then I'd like record it as a user, right? Like a user test almost. And be like, okay, I'm going to click here. This is how I create it. And then you show them the screens. Instead of showing them like, you know, sketch artboards or Figma artboards, I showed them how the thing the vision of how it's gonna work. I thought that worked really well, especially working with uh, developers who weren't, I didn't work with directly as much because then I could give them the whole experience. I could give them the whole entire walkthrough of what this experience is supposed to be like. And then they could refer back to it as they were building. They could always yeah. go back to that video and be like, oh, okay, right there. Oh, that's what it does. You know, cause sometimes like, oh, what happens when they hit the cancel button on a modal? Oh, oh it looks like it does this and this. And so I think, I think that was nice for when you were working with people you didn't sit next to or, you know, work daily with. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that walkthrough process, like you talked about, like, hey, I'm going to walk through this whole entire user experience for you, and then we'll talk about questions and technical things. And then the technical handoff, right? And that's where I think, like, you, to your point, I, I, that's where you just have to sit down with your development team and figure out what they like. If they're, like, an offshore development team, they They should have specific deliverables that they want. They should have like, okay, we need all the pages in this particular format and they all need to be redlined and they all need to be whatever. Um, so usually that's easier as a handoff because you're sort of just, you know, like sending them a bundle of stuff, <laughs> but at the same, but at the same point, like you need to make sure that you're sending them the right stuff. You don't want to be old Navy and send them to smaller pants. <laughs> so you want to send them the right stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm. I think, I think, you know, with the with the tools that we have like Figma and stuff, um, I don't see those being. I've never seen those being like super well adopted by engineering teams. Yeah, I, I think I think you're probably lucky to get fifty to sixty percent of the engineering teams using those um, on a good day. You know, because I think a lot of them just don't want to use another tool. They have they have a lot of tools they use already and it's like oh now i got to look at these mocks in another tool right yep and i got to log into another thing and i got to check it out and then you know depending on how they depending on how say figma or sketch or you know envision or abstract or whatever sets up how they actually get the information and how the inspector tool works could drastically change how they 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 look at stuff which i think leads us to one really cool benefit, and there's a lot of benefits to a design system. So there's a ton of benefits, but I think a design system and designing within a design system, assuming that your engineering team and you've worked with the engineering team on building proper components, Yeah, um, if you've built proper components in a design system, that's where I think is the mo- you get the most power, right? Like all your selects are in there, all that stuff is in there. And so when they look at a design, they just see those like they just see it's like it's like a beautiful mind right they just see like those <laughs> components uh-huh yeah they just go boo, 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 boo. okay this is that component that component that component that component and then they put it together like like if you've ever watched like the Lego movie right Andy I know you're a big fan of the Lego movie yeah, the I Lego do. masters that's how they operate that's how I kind of see developers using a design system it's like Oh, you know this this piece and this piece and this piece, and they all kind of come together. And then the stuff that doesn't that doesn't have that doesn't piece together, that's the stuff where they go, okay, now I got to inspect that, you know, or now I got to see what color that is. So I think one of the things we can do as designers is, is you know, help development build something like that, but then also use it, like use it all as, as a designer, right? Like <laughs> it makes it, it makes the handoff a lot easier that way if if they know. What components they need to build. Then you don't have to worry about like doing inspecting in Figma and dude, like you know, all that stuff. So I, I
0: don't, I don't know if you just realized this, Patrick. I don't know if you realize what you've just done, but you totally did it. You wanted to have a topic that talked about consistency, <laughs> <laughs> and you freaking did it because that, that is the absolute, like, that's the best, you know, that's the happy path of handoff, right? Like it's, they they are lego master builders as as engineers as developers and they know the typical spacing you know that you don't have to have a designer spend like twice as much time on the design to like redline it um so then all of a sudden yeah i see okay there's that component that's our primary button that's our tertiary button i'm going to use that one i know it's typically you know 16 pixels to the right of of that primary button so like they can understand a lot of those things and build them as components very easily because they're already in a design system and in like a, what do they call the engineering uh, style guide or whatever, um, and they can just you know kind of copy and paste that code in, and not only can they build it really easily, like just looking at your design and build it, um, they can also just do it really fast because they can just copy that code. So it's mm-hmm. the the development cycle is a lot faster. So. That is the way you um, convert one thing to another, Patrick. Right? Really well is with that consistency from design to an engineering team with that style guide that you talked about. So
1: you did it. Yeah. I think it's. I think it's hugely like. W- like if you as a designer, if you want, I think if Lego showed us anything, right? As a designer, you could build a double decker couch using a component library like you can do it it's there or you could build a friggin' spaceship like it doesn't it doesn't matter like you as a designer you're still creative you're still whatever it doesn't hinder you that way but what it does from the engineering team from the from the master builders that you have working with you is it makes their process so much easier Mm -hmm. right because they don't have to worry if you do it correctly the components are built they're built accessible they're built They're built to proper standards. They're built to web standards. They're built to technical specifications. They're built bug free. Right. And so when, when you use those components and you put them in your design, like that just increases the odds that they're going to, that it's going to be more performant, that you don't have to worry about technical specifications. They're not asking you about accessibility standards. They're not asking you about any of that stuff. Right. And so the handoff is just super easy. Like if, I can just hand you something visually, and you can just put it together, right? You can look mm-hmm. at it and go, "Okay, I'm gonna put it together. And it's gonna be done." And then the only questions are, "Okay, well, this weird area over here, what's this little weird interaction? We don't have that interaction, you know?" It's like, "Okay, well, here's how I'm gonna do it." So then you're focused more on like a, on like a micro level of building rather than like you're giving them like, you know, you're you're giving them a you're giving them a building that already has parts and components rather yes. than like nothing. And they got to go like scavenger wood to like build this building, right? Like <laughs> you're giving them stuff already. I think that's the best way to hand off. And I know that's like super idealistic and um, it's very difficult because at a lot of companies, especially VC companies, there's just, you're just moving too fast and you don't have time to like build a proper component library, build a proper style guide, but do it a little bit at a time and eventually you'll get there, right? Um, yeah. But that's, take that's advantage of it to
0: work Exactly. Yeah, that's true. And if unfortunately, if your if your your style guide and your component library isn't built to scale very well, um, then that's going to be hard to do. You can't exactly go from a double decker couch to a spaceship very easily. And that's yeah. where you as a di- designer can you know push to improve that. You can you have to build something brand new, and then you know say maybe this is something that we could build um, as a component in the future that we can reuse. Um, so, I think I think that's true. Like, if it's if it's not to that that point, if your company isn't quite there yet, um, work towards that because that is um, going to be a more efficient way to get experiences faster to your users that are, as you said, bug free.
1: Mhm. A lot easier to update in the future too when you want to change the color. You know, when you're like, hey, mm-hmm. I'm sick of this flat design. Let's do uh, new new what's it called? New morphism? Whatever it's called let's do that where everything looks plasticky and like fabricy. Yeah, It'll be a lot easier to change too. <laughs> it's a lot easier to change all the buttons if there's, if they're only calling one class, right? Like yeah. it's just a lot easier to do that. So, um, you know, scalability is huge and it's, you know, building a scalable product and a scalable user experience is, is huge for all the products. And you should really consider that when you're, when you're starting any project is being like, okay, well, how does this scale with more users, how does this scale in the future when we built on more features? Like that kind of stuff. And 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 it comes down to building, you know, building a proper design system or having something to help you yeah.
0: out. And yeah, speaking of like working with engineers, if you're the designer that's always building some crazy wacky idea that doesn't use any of the components, <laughs> and your engineers are working with other designers that always are using the components, which one do you think they're gonna want to work with more and collaborate <laughs> with more? Um, I'm not yeah. saying you shouldn't do wacky things sometimes, cause if it calls for it, you should do it. But if it's yeah. all you're doing, <laughs> if you're always breaking that style guide, like every time, um, in ways that are completely unnecessary, um, your engineers aren't going to be super stoked to work with you.
1: Yeah. And your users aren't going to like you either because of course that means that, you know, each page of your application, each view is gonna look different and behave different and the components are gonna be different. They're not gonna like
0: you specifically as a designer. Not, yeah, not the company. Like, just you.
1: They'd be like, dude, friggin' Andy I can't this is him. This is what he did. Yeah. <laughs> I know it. I looked at his dribble and he had it on there. Yep. I know it was him. that's
0: what that's what that's what customers do they they try to find out who designed the experience they're using (laughs) it wouldn't be too hard
1: it wouldn't be too hard in the day of linkedin and you know dribble to kind of maybe put stuff together you know what i mean like if you're (laughs) if you're a user of an application you're like okay i'm using canopy i'm gonna go to their linkedin and find who works at canopy right and i'm gonna I'm going to narrow that down to like the eight designers or seven designers that are there. And then I'm going to go to Dribbble. I'm going to look up those designers and see if they even post anything. Fortunately, we don't. So that's good. But (laughs) you could figure it out maybe.
0: I don't know because people, there's a lot of people that still don't know what this job is. Like it's still very elusive. Like So it would be hard for I think the normal person, the normal customer to understand, you know, look up a user designer. (laughs) you know, user experience designer or the product designer. Cause we don't even have the same, we don't even have consistent titles in the first place.
1: Yeah. Not even in the same company in most, most cases too. Exactly. So it's like,
0: <laughs> they, they may not be able to find us, um, just yet, but uh, who knows, maybe in the future it'll be a thing and yeah. they'll be able to track us down and, you know, tell us what they <sighs> think.
1: <laughs> Again, that totally goes back to the human nature of making everything inconsistent all the time is, our job title's not even the same, right, across, yeah. <laughs> pro- like, like, what are we, a product designer, a UI designer, an interaction designer, a UX designer? We all do the same damn job. Just what, can we pick one thing? Can we pick one thing and let's all stick to it?
0: How do we go about picking that one thing, Patrick? Like, who decides <laughs> who's just going to do it? You know, it's like, know. We, we just, like, need to, you know, when you're doing, like, a design sprint, and you like kind of pick a facilitator and a decider. I feel like yeah. all of us as designers need to like pick a decider. Yeah. Which could be a horrible idea, but you just have to pick somebody who's going to tell us are we product designers? Are we UI UX designers? User experience designers? What are we, right? So we could just well, standardize that.
1: Well, so here's the thing, we we have like we have like 3 individuals in our in our profession that really are like the lords of what we do right you've got you've got alan cooper you've got don norman and you've got jacob Nielsen, right those mm-hmm. are like the lords those are like the, the the ogs those are the those are the people that invented this stuff and you have alan cooper who thinks use ux design is a silly name right so he's he goes with interaction design which to the vast majority of people doing the job doesn't make sense right Uh (laughs) and then and then you've got don nor you got you got nilson norman right they're 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 on the ux camp right they'll pop up every once in a while should we call users users whatever blah 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 but like they're on the kind of the user experience camp but then for some reason somewhere somebody some some mystery person somewhere (laughs) decided that product design was like a better name for it yeah and that like that like like what, five, six years ago? Like, that infiltrated the entire, like, so now you have another one. Now you have another one in there. It's like, we need to get, we do need some, like, a governing body, right? To be like, okay, here's what you do, and here's here's the title. Now you're yeah. all going to be changing to this title, all right? <laughs> Just do it. But the problem is they'll come up with something new, and then it won't be fully adopted, and then it'll be yeah. a disaster, right?
0: we just we just can't figure this stuff out. I don't I don't know how we're going to last as an industry, Patrick, if we we keep this up at this rate.
1: <laughs> what is your <laughs> the bubbles are going to burst. What is what is your uh, what is your preferred out of out of the core like 3. There's there's the interaction designer, the UX designer, the product designer. Like out of the core 3, which one's do you Andy think match or which one would you prefer to be called or go with?
0: so i think the one that probably makes the most sense to me and i don't exactly like the term ux um, because nobody understands what it is that's not a ux designer but i like that one the best so if you spell it out i think it makes the most sense i am a user experience designer um it's it's hard to understand the digital part of that you know you typically were we're, you know digital experience designers. But I think that one, at least, like if I'm talking to customers on the, on the phone, I, I say I'm a user experience designer because they can kind of understand that I'm in the experience and they put that together with design. That kind of makes sense. Whereas product designer, um, I feel like that could be a lot of different things. That's not mm-hmm. super clear. An interaction designer, I don't think anyone understands what that means. <laughs> so yeah, um, I, I feel like that one user experience designer is probably the most clear of all of those um, so that's, that's that's what I prefer that's what I go with
1: yeah I agree with you I think it's the most encompassing I, I, I'd even be down if we shortened it and just said experience designers like I'd be down with that yeah and I've, and think, I've seen that, that job before sense.
0: too I, I've seen some yeah. companies call them experience designers and I think that one works
1: I think that one will win out in the long run you know like back in the day when cars were first around they didn't call them mechanics they, you know there was the there was probably you know the tool guy and then there was the, they had probably had 10 different names they probably had grease monkey they had you know the gas jockey they had they had all kinds of different names for these guys but eventually, eventually mechanic won out right over decades and decades of like fighting and arguing mechanic finally won out I think I think experienced designer is gonna win out in the long run. Like That's your bet. Yeah, when we're dead and uh the next society is you know, they've moved on, I think they're gonna be called experienced designers. And they're all gonna wear the same clothes. <laughs> yeah. And uh it'll be nice. It'll be a beautiful thing, right, Andy?
0: I, I think so. <laughs> we're all gonna be the same. All of our <laughs> all of our designs will just be based on whatever Apple does. You know, just I'll we'll yeah. just take apples, apples hig, and just use that. So
1: that, so that hasn't changed. You're saying, yeah, that's not any different. <laughs> Although you have the Google people who think Google is like super cool. You have those people, but
0: have you? So Patrick, have you we, seen we, the uh, the updated? We know they're not des- real designers.
1: <laughs> 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 have I seen the updated? Uh, Have you seen the updated... Google material?
0: uh, Yeah, the new Android um, update that was just announced like a couple of days ago.
1: Yeah. Um, I I was looking at it just today, actually. Just looking at a little bit of it. I haven't dived into it. It's a a radical,
0: pretty interesting redesign of how Android works. So I think it still has some of the material elements, but it's definitely different from, you know, material as a whole. Yeah. Uh, Very interesting, like, shapes... and colors that I think were were very fascinating. So I haven't dived into it too much and I don't really have an opinion on it, but I like that they're changing something about it, because I feel like it's been a very long time since we've seen like a drastic change in a UI. Yeah. Um both in in iOS and in Android. Like those have just been kind of gradually making very small tweaks here and there. This one was kind of a, a nice refreshing change that I think looks pretty cool. Um, it's something that I kind of want to mess around with. Like, for a second, I was like, dang, I should get a Pixel phone just to it play does, with
1: it. That's the thing. Like, I've always I've always really liked the Pixel phone. Like, I think that's the best phone on the market. Mm-hmm. But the only thing that's prevented me from – well, the two things that prevent me from getting that is, is, is one, it's always been Android. Like, I just – I can't take it. I just don't – it's just <laughs> – Like the the operating system, the Android operating system just looks like a cheap version of like Microsoft to me. It just doesn't, it doesn't look, it doesn't present as well as I think the iPhone always presents, right? From like a visual design standpoint, interaction standpoint. Um, The other thing is, you know, I'm sort of involved in the Apple ecosystem. So like, you know, my things transfer over easy, but like that, just seeing it today, like when I was looking at it, just from a you know a very high level visual standpoint i was like this could make me this this really? could be like this could be the thing that gets me to to get like a pixel phone right wow <laughs> which would be yeah. which would be cool
0: that would be cool I, I i have been a person who has switched you know back and forth cuz i like yeah. playing with different uis i haven't had one for a long time so i i think it would be fun and i personally like android because there's a lot of ability to customize it and make it totally different. Like you can't do that very much with iOS. Like it's like yeah, Apple yeah. like says, here's the right design for you because we've studied it. And, <laughs> and Android's like, whatever, you can do. You know, you can design your own thing if you want. Um, like they'll have their out-of-the-box design, which is usually not super great. And then you can design it basically the way you want yeah. to, which I've liked. Um, and there's just a lot of um, flexibility for kind of the the gadget nerds and the people who want to do... You know weird things with their phones, um, mm-hmm. so I've liked that. So that's kind of been like, yeah, I should. I don't want to leave iOS, but I was like, I should just get a second phone and just play with this. Um, but yeah, let's 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 go let's go get our Pixel phones now, Patrick.
1: Okay. For let's Android twelve. And then, and then uh, yeah, we'll discuss it next week.
0: Yeah, it's your homework assignment. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's a good episode I liked it it's fun yeah good conversation and and we were able this is how good we are with this podcast we start out with something as stupid as me complaining about buying a pair of pants (laughs) and we turned it in we we drove it in a circle and brought it back and we brought it up to consistency again in design and again the people if there's any if there's any clothing designers out there listening listening right now like Freaking, do the job right, man! Come on, <laughs> clean up your act.
0: You, that's right. You have to have Fix a consistent it. style guide. Work Jeez. with, you know, you don't have developers. You have what tailors? I don't know what they, what those people would be—the yeah. people who actually make the physical material. You have, you should work with those better. You know, those individuals, and make sure that the design actually yeah. goes <laughs> the way your users expect it to. So. <laughs>
1: You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tell my engineers that, that this new mock-up that I'm working on is, is uh, you know, 1024 pixels wide, you know 768 tall. I'm going to tell them where all the pixels are. And then when they actually open up the thing, it's going to be like 641 pixels wide <laughs> by like 758 pixels tall. Like none of it's going to match up. And then I'll yeah. be like, haha, that's how designers, that's how, that's how clothing designers operate. That's what they do they lie to you
0: yeah and just be like really just be like, send right. them send them that file and be like yeah if, if this doesn't work out for you just come over to my desk and i'll give you the right file
1: yeah just 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 come over here
0: that's a good way to get them to collaborate with you like in person yeah <laughs> you know
1: <laughs>
0: or if you're not at a desk if you're if you're working from home like most of us are of course they have to come to your house and see it
1: so yeah. you gotta drive over here
0: yeah so that way you're gonna have a they're gonna come like see you in person see how you live and really get to know you one-on-one there's gonna be this amazing trust you know this bond forming Um, it's gonna be an intimacy there yeah exactly exactly (laughs) so okay man good plan
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, have fun, Andy. <laughs> you too, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. Thanks for listening to the pod. Real quick before you take off, we need your topics. Shoot an email to topics at designmuch.org or go to designmuch.org slash contacts and fill out the form. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, go ahead and share the pod with some friends co-workers, your weird aunt, that guy who takes your money every morning at the McDonald's, your hamster, really just whoever you want to. Lastly, go grab a Design Much t-shirt at designmuch.threadless.com and wear it freaking proudly. That's it, guys. Now have a good week, design nerds.